Welcome to Between the Years, the podcast that believes it's all in your head. This is episode eight. You're about to hear an unscripted conversation about elitism and privilege, aka dumping on others. Who dumps on you and why? Who do you dump on and why? How do we perceive elitism and privilege in America today? Did the Kavanaugh hearings matter at all? These are difficult questions. In each podcast, our goal is to develop some potential answers by the end for our listeners. I'm Stack, and here is Z Stuff with the start of our show. I'm not better than anyone, and nobody is better than me. That's a fine declaration to, to make. Do you live up to it each and every day? And I try it, my best. All your actions follow that, that you're just a perfect Gandhi around there and judging no one and complimenting everybody and everybody loves you? Absolutely not. I all try, right. though. So let's get through that. And uh, I feel like I'm on cable news just talking nonsense. Um, do you get dumped on? I do. Why? I, Why do you think you get dumped on? Um, sometimes I think it's because I don't live up to my potential, my full potential. So you blame yourself if you get dumped on? Sometimes. Is that your instinct, like a reflex, if you get dumped on in some way? That I think it's me? Yeah. Yeah. What about you? Well, getting dumped on to me means you could get verbally, something verbal. I guess it could be physical. If I was on the playground as a kid, I get uh, a lunchbox thrown over my head or thrown in a, a locker or something. That's certainly getting dumped on. As an adult, that, that kind of thing doesn't happen. No, I don't think I get dumped on that much uh, anymore in life. I think I did at times. I think you develop coping strategies if you, you do get dumped on. I keep saying dumped on. It's like getting picked on. But don't adults pick on each other just like kids? All the time. They always find something negative to say about somebody. But I think that's because of their insecurities. So at first you blamed yourself if you get dumped on. And now you're saying the people that are the dumpers are insecure. Now, who do you dump on and why? Oh, um, well... I'm just guilty of dumping on people in general. Don't you Sometimes, think family is the worst? Don't we dump on family, each other? That's where I was going. Look at that. Yeah. It's like the words right What were you going to say mouth. about family? I sit there and dump on them quite a bit. Why do you think that is? Because I do have a theory. Um, pro Honestly, probably because they get on my nerves. And it's just... No, I don't think that's me. a reason. Many other people in this world probably get on your nerves. They do. I'm sure, but I don't really... You don't dump on all of them. That is true. So why do you think, as family, families dump on each other, members of a family unit? I don't know. Maybe because they're around each other too much? Because you can get away with it. That's what it is. You can get away with it. Unconditional love is beautiful. And unconditional love means you're still going to show up tomorrow. You're still family, although there's some exceptions. You can get away with it. It's the downside of unconditional love, right? I don't know if you can always get away with it. I don't know if they're still going to show up tomorrow. Have you ever done something that was so, you dumped on someone so bad that you thought the family relationship was gone or it was gone because of it? Um, not really dumped on someone. Like you get into arguments, but not really sat there and like went in on somebody and was like, oh, it's over. I did the other day. <laughs> really? Who it was pray a, tell? It was a Friday dinner with my wife and there were some relatives on my wife's side. It was like a table of seniors. So that naturally creates a dynamic that can be a problem. It didn't go all, you know, Trump, Obama, political stuff. But somebody started in with uh, the monuments, the, uh, the Confederate monuments in the South. 
and one person started defending why they should stay up. They kind of mumbled and then garbled it as history and, and just some <laughs> crap. But then somebody outright started to defend it. But this person is pretty old, so I'm engaging in ageism. They do nothing but go to church and hang out with their cats. They don't have a lot of life experience is what I'm saying, at least in this century, literally. Uh, they may have had experience when they were more engaged in the world before. So anyways, this person was going in on why the monument should stay. And I said, fuck that. And she's like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. your family hears that mouth. I said, fuck that again. And I mean it for emphasis. And I told her ahead of time, I said, I'm going to curse. And I mean it for emphasis. I said, fuck that. I couldn't tolerate the monuments, the Confederate monuments and why they should stay up because there's no monuments to slave burials, um, that kind of thing. You forget the other people. It's a one-sided history. So anyway, so the point is not so much the issue, but I said, fuck that twice in a very forceful, deliberate way, although I gave a little heads up and I think they were in shock. Not everybody at the table was in shock, but I think the person on the receiving end was in shock. And that person does come to Thanksgiving every year. They're not a terribly close relative, but they do have a seat just at uh, Thanksgiving. So I'm kind of thinking maybe they won't be with us at Thanksgiving. I don't know if that'll stick with them or if it rolled right off their back, but I certainly dumped on her and I dumped on her with a vengeance because I felt really strongly about that. And I couldn't sit there and tolerate that, you know, to be passive with that kind of stuff. Um, that's an example of, shall we say, coming back to our topic, white privilege. But again, Ooh. we don't, we could talk about race. We don't necessarily have to, but with elitism and privilege, uh, race does become part of it. In America, couldn't we say that Caucasians um, possibly have had a, we'll just call it a historical advantage. Many generations have passed. Uh, since slavery uh, went on. Civil rights are still a fairly recent phenomenon and people are still fighting for more and probably uh, righteously so. But there is white privilege, is there not? I hear white guilt talked about a lot too. Uh, that's a form of privilege. Race can be privilege. That is. White privilege is a topic, but I don't know. Sometimes I really sit there and think about you have the Jews who were sitting there and slaves too. Egyptians. So it was the opposite of slavery, African-Americans yeah. and white people. So, I mean, you can't really sit here and say that it's just that. But white privilege, I think, is at an all-time high now. Oh, you think it's higher now? Yes, I do. There's no separate bathrooms. You know, all these things that went on. Uh, interracial marriage is okay. You know, Is it really? Well, Or are they just hiding it's it? It's okay legally. Um, we legally, can say that. yes. Yeah. But morally and to other people, is it really? How many people you see in an interracial relationship walking down the street and you don't sit there and see somebody else watching them and disgust? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it I think it depends where you are. Right. Uh, liberal, conservative, all that kind of stuff again. Yeah, I saw some stuff when I uh, too lived in the South. That's why I felt like I could speak up about um, that disgusting notion of, of privilege on that one-sided history. Uh, but in other places, yeah, you wouldn't bat an eye. That's why... I, I always say New York City is beautiful. All sorts of different looking and sounding people walking around. But I'm sure there's still parts of New York City where that's a big issue for people as well. So. There are parts where they stick together. They, you stay the own kind. Yeah. But the, I guess it's just going to be like that all the time. I just feel like now in this day and age, it's still high. And I know you said that it's not with, you know, separate bathrooms, but they're, it's education. They, they display it different ways, the way they education and you're talking education in terms yeah. of racial differences i think that's 
an yeah. issue still. No, it's known that schools that are just African-American right. minorities don't do as well as schools that are pre- predominantly white. And shifting a couple kids to a white suburban school really does nothing except probably make some some suburban people or a politician or some white people, frankly, feel better. About themselves? Yeah, about what they're doing for the world. They're a little part. You know, there, there's all sorts of good intended people sitting on the sidelines. So that's why I didn't mind dumping on a kind of relative by marriage in that situation. Right. I, I was willing to take that risk, although I... I don't, I don't know how things will go at Thanksgiving. I'll have to report back. Yeah. So you would perceive that elitism and privilege in America today, it's worse than ever, is I what do. you're thinking. Um, I, I mean, you got to sit there and really look at it. I think you sit here and you have, honestly, it really comes down to this. Like this whole thing boils down to Trump. Like that's where I'm going with it. I was trying not to go there with it. But mm. when I sit here and think about now, I think it all has to do with him. And I can't sit here and knock anybody who wants to agree with him and what he thinks that's fine but i think him being president has allowed people to think it's okay to be racist and make nasty comments and think that they're better than that white people are better than everybody else but hasn't this even if uh before trump was elected or ran for president i think you'd probably still say if we're doing this podcast that you still had the same views on elitism and privilege that we're not in a great place in America. That is the the beautiful silver lining, the ironic silver lining about Trump. He's bringing it out in the open so ridiculously that everybody, not everybody, but it's more a topic of conversation. It's rather than leaving these sort of things in the closets or the dustbins of families talking about it behind closed doors or elite societies talking about it, the common popular citizen is talking about it now. And that's kind of a silver lining to get all this stuff out in the open as a society. It's ugly. It's super ugly. Charlottesville is ugly as far as the racial tension, Uh, but it's out there. And maybe that's part of the healing. I don't know. I mean, possibly, but are we really talking about it? Are we sitting there arguing about it, trying to prove who's better? That comes back to having civil uh, discourse, something that, you know, we're trying to do along with talking about mental health. I know it's a stress on my mental health to have it out in the open. I find it really difficult. Look at the way I snapped and dumped on a, a relative over some Confederate monuments, right? I kind I mean, of, I want to, I kind of wish I was at dinner. You wish you're you at dinner, look yeah. like, if people could see you right now, like, yes, like, all right, like, you were proud that you stood your ground. And I, I still am. It felt good. It felt good not to sit on the sidelines. I like that. that um, congratulations. I feel like you have like something that you needed to say and you got it out off your I'm chest. I'm happy about it, but I failed in terms of civil discourse. Did I have to say fuck that real loud a couple times? I didn't. I Did I feel like I need to to get attention? Yeah. I wanted to shock these older gray-haired folks. Sometimes you to need say, to. To say, hey, this isn't acceptable to me um, and I'm just not having it. But, you know, I kind of failed along the lines of civil discourse, I feel, at the same time. So even though I feel good about it, it it might be a guilty pleasure. She goes to church or he goes to church so they can forgive you. That's what it says in the Bible. Forgive. There you go. Look at that. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see how they live up to their, uh, their Catholic upbringing. Listen, you can't be a backslider. Did I say Catholic? You did. So Catholicism, Mm. that's a form (laughs) of elitism and privilege. Is it not? The um, Cardinal uh, in DC who I shook his hand once. I once went to St. Matthew's in D.C. on a Christmas Eve mass, and I met him before in the year of priests. Uh, He resigned, but not really. He just resigned as a priest, and he was already 78. 
and he's still going to be on some Vatican councils. But the Catholic Church, my God, will they ever get it right regarding abuse? And just will they ever get it right? Um, at this point, I don't even think there's hope for them. Um, we might as well just throw away the religion at this point. It's shameful. And I'm Catholic, grew up Catholic. But it's shameful to know that all of this is happening behind closed doors. But we are in an age, like you said, where everything is coming out. So I guess with the Me Too and all these other accusations. Kicking and screaming with attorney generals asking for records and payments being made and the church slowly selling off property. And many of the priests and the victims are actually dead. God knows how much more um, abuse there was that the right. spotlight group in Boston could uh, didn't find or someone else hasn't exposed yet. It's just appalling. Um, Some of the priests need to give back their uh, nice Rolls Royce. I want to, I want to break into the Vatican and sell all their riches, all their paintings, all everything and uh, make it right in some sort of way, which you can't possibly do with that kind uh -huh. of abuse. So I, I read this the other day or something along these lines. And it's been on my mind that you shouldn't let religion come between you and God. What purpose is there for man-made religion? if it's interfering uh, with my relationship in God. My belief in God isn't shook, but my desire to go to church and to give money or uh, participate in more formal aspects of the Catholic religion is certainly uh, shaken to, see the, to say the least. I don't go to church, so I only went because I had to for school so I can get my confirmation. But other than that, I really don't go to church. I don't really see the point in it. No disrespect to the ones that do go to church, but my grandmother always said that God is everywhere and you can stop in the middle of the street and talk to him and he'll be listening to you. He's listening to us right now. So there's really, I don't, that's just a man-made building to me. So a lot of people go to church because they're older in life and they frankly fear God and fear death and want to be on the right side of it, right? right? I mean, that's that's why you see an older crowd typically at church. And that's probably, I don't know if it's universal, but it, it definitely happens in all the Christian religions. I think I've gone to every denomination to a church service uh, that exists, uh, that it, that is Christian. And then other people go, I think, honestly, because I like meditation. I like the big, beautiful cathedrals. That's why I went to St. Mary's on, or uh, St. Matthew's on some level in D.C. It's a beautiful church. You feel like God's there. Uh, you hear that chorus sing, especially on a Christmas Eve mass. You're in that big, beautiful building. It's where uh, JFK's funeral was as well. It's it's just an epic structure, and I don't use the word epic lightly. Uh, so I, I think it's a form of meditation for people. That's partly why they go to church too. And there's other people, I guess, that go for fellowship, and they feel it's their obligation. I read certain things in the Bible about that as well in terms of worship. Church means community. So it's really the community coming together. Uh, in the days of uh, St. Paul, they met in people's houses partly because they were oppressed, but it doesn't have to be this formal church structure. I mean, we have so many churches and you see churches adding on additions, other ones closing down. The division is just so apparent. For, forget Democrat and Republican, the divisions of even within the Christian religion. It's unbelievable. We can't agree. I mean, the people that uh, believe Christ is divine and man, that should just be one church. That's what Catholic is. It's supposed to be universal. Uh, Buddhist, uh, Islam, Muslim, that's, you know, that's a different belief structure, although monotheistic, that they believe in one God. But we don't have to have all these divisions. So uh, elitism and privilege, it sounds like you definitely agree that church religion can be that. Yes, that's should definitely... I Them church ones are the worst. That's what my grandma used to say. It shouldn't be, though. When, when was... When did it go from the priest being a humble, poor and broke servant, frankly, with no material wants or cares to 
to this, to, to this religion that we just described, not just Catholic, but beyond that. How do you know it wasn't like that back in the day? Well, they did used to sell, they, I think it was called a privilege. No, not a privilege. There was another word for it that they sold uh, basically passes that if you screwed up really bad, ah, I murdered someone, et cetera, I'll just go buy a pass from the Catholic church and uh, I'll be okay and I'll still go to heaven. Oh, like Monopoly, a get out of jail free card. Yeah, basically. That's what it sounds like. You got the money, then uh, you you don't have to. They'll you don't give have you to worry. Two hundred dollars, and you could pass go on that. A whole different level of forgiveness that kept the church going. Of course, you know, a nice donation here, a nice donation there. Listeners, maybe you're disgusted with our dis- uh, talk of church, or maybe you totally agree with us. Want to share what's going on between your ears? Tweet us at between lower lower score ears. Now back to our conversation. Um. So I'm gonna have to like go to church and repent after all of this. Hey, our, um, our Twitter handle changed, didn't it? It It's it's not between ears. It's between cast. Between cast. Yeah. Yeah. It changed. It definitely did. Who knew that other people would take our, our same Twitter handle. We didn't check that out ahead of time. The things you learn as you go on a podcast. Well, I don't really see them tweeting the way we tweet. So forget them. That's right. We're, we're active on Twitter. We're promoting things. We're the the elite. (laughs) The what? We're the elite. Oh, the elite you're <laughs> yeah, trying to say? I can't say that the word. Eli? Yes, Eli, I thought elite. you were going to talk about Eli Manning or something. Oh, no. Let's not talk about the Giants. The elite. Uh, yeah. Elite. So you know I can't speak English. You clearly don't feel like you're part of the elite or privilege yeah. since you cannot pronounce elite. I can't. I right? can't pronounce a lot of words. <laughs> Listen here. No, I mean, I am who I am, and I've always said that. I, I'm just me. I'm nothing fancy. You like me, you don't. If you want to think you're better than me, by all means, go right ahead. Just because I sit here and can't pronounce a word doesn't mean that I lack any type of intelligence. I just don't feel the need to sit here and display it for anyone. Like, it's So you're not- hiding your intelligence. You're keeping it under wraps. I don't really. I, yes and no. Like, I, I'm not going to sit here and walking around like, oh, hey, I know this. And oh, hey, I know that. No, I don't have. You come off like an asshole at times like that. Are you trying to talk to me? Because I shared a little <laughs> factoid a minute ago. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'd probably come out and say it. Things are getting testy in the studio now. Listen here. Don't put me on the spotlight. I wasn't talking about you. All right, but individually, which is where this podcast always goes, it's about mental health, essentially, and how we live our own lives. We both dump on people at times. I gave my fun or alarming example, depending on where you're coming from in perspective, but we both dump on people at certain moments. We do. Yeah. So are are we being elite? Do we have privilege when we do that? Or is that just lousy character? I dump on my mom a lot. And like having this conversation, it kind of always makes it seem like I try to be better than her with what I say in that respect. So like when I dump on her, it does come out like I think I'm better. But the reality is... I think some of that's natural. There's kind of a one-upsmanship, a competition amongst any humans that talk with each other. You're trying to show that you're intelligent and um, we compete with each other and we're always proving that, I don't know, not not that we're smart, um, but that we're evolving, we're growing and we want people to be along with us. So I, that could be some of what happens with you guys. I don't know. You know, you know better than I do. That's the only um, example that I can give. I don't really dump on anybody else too much. I try not to. I try not to put anybody in that position because I don't want to be in that position myself. Now, before the Supreme Court hearings with um, Justice Kavanaugh, who's now on the Supreme Court at the time of this uh, podcast, it's not clear if Democrats won't go and try to actually impeach 
uh, a Supreme Court justice, which is an incredible thing to me. I kind of want to just move beyond it in some ways as a country, but I don't know if it scarred us as a country. Not everybody's followed it close, but I feel like a lot of people did. It felt like the OJ trial to me. It felt like different things where everybody knew where they were or they were checking out. It was kind of kind of amazing. And the topic of elitism really came up and this is how this podcast went in this direction. I would just say it's lousy people dumping on each other until the Kavanaugh hearings. But when I heard that uh, possible Supreme Court justice at the time demanding from Congress that he appear the next day to refute the charges, I just thought what pompous, what a pompous example of elitism that a judge who knows the uh, criminal, the legal uh, court system better than anyone else would think he could have his fair day in court the very next day when cases drag on forever. People do not get into court that quickly. Uh, horrible things happen to people and the stress that people go through is is just incredible. And this guy thinks he could just come in the next day. So what an obvious example of elitism. I think of golf courses and golf golfing in general with elitism. Yeah. I don't know why. Is that I can see where you're going with that one. I kind of do too. Like you're in the country club and you're like just out there doing your thing. And Golfing like costs money, fancy. right? Yeah. Golfing costs money. Skiing costs money. There's a decent amount where a sport like basketball, you just get a ball and off mm -hmm. you go. Uh, soccer, you get a ball and off you go. Yeah, you need a few goals, but you can make stuff out of it. Basketball started with peach baskets, uh, they said as well. So it seems like elitism comes with money. That money's got to be tied up in this elitism or privilege sort of thing, regardless of the race, the gender, and all that kind of thing. Money is part of it. And I, I think there's there's something to be said for this chain, almost like the animal kingdom where the large animal eats the small one and the small animal eats the next smaller and on and on it goes uh, regarding money. And I think about if you're at a grocery store and you're you're checking out and you perceive that that person that works at the grocery store maybe doesn't make that much money mm -hmm. in some way. I've seen people in certain parts of town. It's like they don't even treat them as a person. It's almost like they're a mechanical computer checkout. There's no greeting. There's no pleasantries with that person. It's almost like they're less than a person because of their their status. We talked about that Cosby show actor that, that was working at um, Trader Joe's. Yes. But it's like a status thing because of their money. You know, when there's no shame doing any sort of job, there's days I'd be happy to be a grocery checkout person without, I never look down on someone that works at a grocery checkout, even though it is historically done by younger people, high school, college, there's a variety of people that do it. So money is all tied up on this. And uh, I can't quite put my finger on why that is. Is it because you lose touch with yourself once you have a good bit of money? I think there's some danger in having a ton of money that Green. you lose touch. Greed. Well, does greed make you treat people differently? You might dump on it them for, your, for if there's self-interest in it, but it doesn't make you treat the grocery checkout person or somebody you encounter doing more of an entry-level job like crap. There's nothing in it for their self-interest. I think they've lost touch with their sense of humanity and they, they've lost themselves because of money. They forgot where they came from. They forgot where they started. Yeah, But absolutely. then again, if they didn't start from the bottom, they wouldn't know. If they started on top, if they're like a trust fund baby, how would you sit there and know how to um, treat somebody who doesn't have what you have when you think about it? I want to test your knowledge in New York City right now. Oh, Jesus. You're going to make me sound like so ridiculous. Spike Lee, what, what city did he spotlight? What uh, borough did he spotlight early in his film career? 
was it Brooklyn? Brooklyn, yeah. Do the right thing and so do you think Spike Lee still lives in Brooklyn today? I think he does. I'm he, not sure. He wants to, but he does not. Mm. He lives in Manhattan. His wife gave him an ultimatum. He talked about it in an interview last year or earlier this year. Gave him an ultimatum because too many people were they knew where he lived and they were ringing the bell at all hours because uh, he knew too many people. So he had to move to Manhattan, but he, he tried to stay. And I think there's always a sense of moving up when people become successful, especially if it's in a projects or something. And Brooklyn's come a long ways from what Brooklyn was a long time ago. It has. Not that he doesn't have love for Brooklyn and there wasn't beautiful nostalgic things about Brooklyn. Uh, from <laughs> my privileged view, Brooklyn's come a long ways. <laughs> You'd probably rather have it like it was in a lot of ways. But yeah, he doesn't live in Brooklyn anymore. So that's that losing touch of yourself when you, you get some money. Money does seem to be a danger uh, in terms, in terms of this topic. So, so do you think uh, you're guilty, see stuff, of uh, being an elitist when you can pronounce it or guilty of privilege in any areas? Or does this not afflict you? Are you more the receiver getting dumped on? I think I'm more the receiver getting dumped on. At times, I... I probably have sat there and thought I was better than somebody and made it known, but it kind of probably was just to be a bitch and mm. just to like stick it to somebody. But nine times out of 10, I always feel like I'm the underdog. So the motivation for something that would appear to be that way wasn't elitism or privilege. It was, more it was just, just more to, yeah, to be an Getting asshole. kicks or yeah. Yeah. yeah like yeah, being the, the jerk that we all can be. I always feel like I'm the underdog. Like, if when I look back on my family, I always feel like I'm the one always trying to catch up, which is why I always say I'm the underdog. But then yeah. slow and steady wins the race, and you never know where you might end so up. So you feel at. like you're on the receiving end of this. <clears throat> yes. do, you, do you think elitism and privilege that you encounter is a barrier towards achieving what you want to in life, or it's just one of those things of that's how people behave, and it's you know you just want to slap them up and move on? Yeah, that's how people are, and you just want to slap them up and move on. The beautiful thing about getting older, and I am older than you, is you stop giving a shit about a lot of things. And I don't put up with a lot of that crap anymore that I would before. I really don't. What did I just tell you? I want to be like you when I grow <laughs> up because you just say it. Like, I don't care that I'm 31. I, you just say it. I want to be like you when I grow up. Well, let's end that portion of the conversation. I think we can agree there. <laughs> that sounds nothing but nice to me. I think it's time for a reading, shall we? Okay. Today's reading is from a book called The Graves Are Walking by John Kelly. This is about the uh, Great Famine and the saga of the Irish people. I concluded in looking at my family tree, uh, there's obviously some Irish um, lineage. I wanted to know which side of the potato famine I was on, the, uh, the ones that were doing okay. Maybe they, they left the country or we uh, had good terms with England or we were the uh, potato famine group. Uh, I can tell you... Uh, the potato famine group is where my lineage is from. God bless them. So let's go back in time to Canada, northern New York, and towards the end of 1846, the immigration season would break open around May of each year. Irish were leaving in droves because they were dying if they could get the money or the means to leave the country. Um, and what happened towards the end of the 1846 immigrant season, the book goes into, the character of the immigration stream changed. The sturdy, industrious merchants and farmers, the traditional Irish immigrants, they disappeared. They were replaced by hordes of low Irish, indigent peasants who had come off ships half naked and filthy. How could a nation be made from such people? The Canadians asked themselves and the Americans. Yes, good old Canada. 
Canada ask themselves that? There was one paper, uh, a Quebec City paper in particular, Les Canadiens, who was really sounding the warning about such things. And they said, just before May hit, in a few short weeks, Ireland and Scotland will jettison onto our shores. They're hungry and they're dying. They were advocating against it. In New York State, we were more clever in New York State. We imposed an immigrant head tax of $1.50 per person. In Boston, even more creative. I'm adding some of my own words to the book now in terms of the creativity, <laughs> which now required ship owners to post a $1,000 bond for each passenger. Both of these were just deterrents to not have people immigrate. So a lot of Irish came through Canada for these reasons. Um, Give me your huddled masses yearning to be free was a song of another American generation, the author says. On April 28th, Lay Canadian, the newspaper I mentioned, denounced the American measures as a further example of Yankee perfidy. God forbid that we should wish to close the doors of Canada, the unfortunate immigrants of Ireland, not only the federal Congress, but also individual state legislatures of the United States have adopted strict and isolationist precautionary measures, which tend to shift the tide of immigration. Away from the American Union, immigration, which now up to this point has been so profitable for the states, is now thrown upon the shores of Canada. So you get the point. I was going to read more, but I don't think there's any need. So the beautiful America, our huddled masses, as, as it mentioned, the melting pot that we are, we were clever in terms of uh, how many immigrants we would get and how we kept them from coming. And doesn't that have an immediate corollary to today? And you mentioned Trump and immigration is yes. a big thing, trying to build a wall on the uh, southern aspect of the country with Mexico. God knows what we're going to do with Canada. Our relationship has never been in jeopardy in my lifetime with Canada. And uh, we're even having problems with them. And Canada is taking in more immigrants. Uh, but this kind of populism and change in terms of immigration is going on in Germany because that is the best place in the European Union uh, to get a job as far as the economy. And, um, you know, economics drive a lot of things. Uh, the Japanese don't take a lot of new citizens and period, but they're now thinking about changing their ways to get a highly skilled workforce. And that's kind of what this comes down to. Elitism and privilege, we're looking for a highly skilled workforce, but we're not looking for just any immigrants. We have lotteries in America to take those low-class immigrants to make us feel good, like the few maybe African-American students in a white suburb, um, just small little quotas, but it really doesn't do anything. So how do you feel, Z stuff, hearing that on uh, the Irish uh, getting kind of screwed by the English with a potato famine. And then that's how Canada and America welcome them with open arms. Uh, immigration's a touchy topic. Um, I think it's really fucked up. I, that, honestly, there's no, there's no way to say that. Listening to that, I was getting really aggravated and irritated because I just think it's, it's, it's bullshit. Here's the argue, argument against it. You lose your culture, right? If you have this beautiful block, because sometimes community feels like a block, instead of a, a much larger area, but beautiful city, beautiful block, uh, whatever you want to say, or beautiful part of the city, you lose your culture if all of a sudden you have a bunch of, I'll just say, these people, whatever these people mm -hmm. are to you, you lose your culture, you know? Like we have an Italian, Little Italy's in a lot of cities don't look like Little Italy anymore, you know? Right, I, I can actually attest to this. Oh, there's a little crying in the background. That is uh, Bruzo the dog, who Bruzo the dog is the pitcher, for our podcast uh, with his headphones on. Bruzo the dog, as you can now hear, has wandered into our studio for the first time ever. Bruzo has made some appearances before we start recording and after, but this is the first time he's wandered into our, our studio during a podcast. We do allow Bruzo to act as a reminder to our listeners of the unconditional love and support animals can offer many in life. He's our role model. So 
like mm-hmm. him when I grow up too. I think we all do. Yeah, he's, lounging around, he's got the life. Buzo's awesome. I don't know what he worries about, but it's probably more primal things than we do. <laughs> he certainly isn't contemplating doggy immigration and whether those uh, dogs are coming over here from Thailand and <laughs> whether we're taking on too many uh, while we try to save their lives. <laughs> That's hilarious. Good times. Um, but like I was saying, I can see there's the neighborhood in Queens that I grew up in and it's completely different from when I was younger to now. So yeah, do you feel harder. like the culture is lost or it just becomes different? It's different. Um, it's harder to find what you're looking for. But I think culture's within you. I mean, it doesn't it's not gonna stay here. The neighborhood doesn't change who I am. Isn't isn't immigration what makes this country awesome? I mean, Irish are fully assimilated, but at the time they were the same sort of immigrants you could say the Trump administration is trying to keep out from Somalia or parts of Africa, whatever wherever he called shitholes. Right. Uh, that horrible comment. Russo, he's you, very bothered by this topic. Yes, That's he all is. I can, I, I can see that. I appreciate that. That's right. You cry for immigration. I was going to say something else, but then I was like, oh, my God, they'll kill me. <laughs> so, but I, uh, it's immigration is a serious topic. It's a hard topic to talk about because I can see where people say, like, keep them out. But then I can see it's like you can't just leave people out there. Is it a problem of elitism and privilege? Does it does it go with that, or is it nationalism? Is it is it some other? Why do we want to keep people out? Why do we have these artificial barriers we call nations? Is it is it a form of elitism? I think it is. It's protectionist to our, we'll say, culture, to our livelihood, our way of life. But it's a form of elitism. I really think it is. It's the argument against um, nationalism, and that's what we're being. We're being very nationalistic. I can agree with you on that. But like I said, I can see where you say it's like for protection, but it sounds like immigration is a whole nother topic for us. It is. It is. It's just, it's a sensitive topic because you never, it's hard to, it's kind of like a justice. It's hard to really get it out without sounding like an asshole or. So we, we agree that if you dump on someone, you're really just being an asshole. You said Me, and it's not yeah. a form of elitism. Me, I'm, I'm positive. I'm guilty of more subtle shades of privilege or elitism. I'm, I'm positive. I, I don't know the motivations on each one. They're all different. I, I'd like to think I'm far too complex to always. 10Ks. Oh, you're going to pick on me for running a race <laughs> recently. <laughs> I was telling Z stuff before we started our podcast. I recently ran a race and did very well. And rather than taking that as perhaps uh, feeling happy for me or as motivation for herself, she felt like it was elitist of me, evidently, of talking about my race. I should just silently enjoy my celebration and hang on to my little medal and look at it under a flashlight underneath my covers at night. As you flash it in my face, like, hey. Remember what I said as you get older and you just give less shits? Yeah. Was that one of those moments? That was one of those moments. Oh, lovely. You've been listening to the Between the Years podcast. Have a future topic idea or just want to interact with us? Tweet us at between underscore cast. Thank you for listening.